So I'm reading from Philippians 4, verses 11 through 13. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. This is the word of the Lord. You can have a seat. Well, it's, um, it's a privilege being here with you all. I've gotten to know uh, Chris and Crystal throughout the years, being with, involved in Acts 29. Been um, on retreats with them, had lunches and dinners with them, and so it's a real privilege to be here at his church and meeting you people and uh, being greeted by you, not just getting the chance to greet you, but, but to see the warmth uh, that is actually here in, in, um, in your midst. So um, thanks for inviting me and letting me be here. Uh, married three boys, um, lived in Indy for seven years, originally from Kentucky, but moved all around St. Louis to Indy, Indy's home. Uh, our church, yeah, five years in, we, uh, we built, we had a, we bought an old building like this, 19, I think ours is like 1927, and, uh, walls are caving in, we're building them along the way, but it's, uh, it's great to plant a church, and, uh, to see God, uh, grow it, uh, one person at a time. Well, we're going to be talking about, uh, contentment, and I don't know if any of you, uh, struggle with discontentment, but, um, I think you probably do, because uh, you're human. Uh, but but uh, I've been going through Philippians with my church, and we're at the end, and we're in Philippians 4, we, we finished it, and so I'm revisiting a sermon that I, I gave to them, which I think is relevant to you and, and to me. It's on contentment, um, Philippians 4.13, actually, if you want to look there in your Bible, if you want to keep um, your Bible open there, that'd be, that'd be great. Um, Philippians 4.13 is one of those verses that is commonly misunderstood. And perhaps one of those most misinterpreted passages in all of Scripture. Um, it's applied to all kinds of things. New ventures, right? I'm gonna, I don't know, perhaps you've never been to business school, but you know Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And you want to start a new business and you think, this is great. I can start a new business because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so you start a new business and it fails and you think, maybe I can't do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Uh, or you apply it to all sorts of other things like education. You know, I don't really need to study for the exam because Scripture tells me that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So you don't study and then you fail the exam. And the problem is you're misapplying what God is saying in or Paul, the apostle, is saying through this verse. Now, this is a, this is a common verse. If you are fans of college football and you know Tim Tebow, well, Tebow, uh, I like Tim, okay? I'm a fan of Tim, but... On the cover of Sports Illustrated, when he was you know, playing for the Florida Gators, he is uh, one of the Heisman, he's on the cover of Sports Illustrated, on his eye black is Philippians 4.13. Now, now, how is Tim applying that? Well, I don't know Tim's heart. But at least it seems like the way that's being applied is, I can do all things through Christ, my team can do all things through Christ, therefore, whoever we're playing, Michigan or Ohio State, whoever it might be, the SEC championship, we can conquer and defeat our opponent. Now that's, we're going to explain what this really means. 
Well, Evander Holyfield did the same thing. Now, maybe you're too young to remember Evander Holyfield when he fought Iron Mike Tyson. Tyson was the heavyweight champion of the world, undisputed. I mean, he was a, he's a monster. Well, Evander Holyfield is going to face this incredible fight with Mike Tyson. He's going to enter into the ring, and on his shorts, on his robe, I believe, on both, was Philippians 4.13. Certainly on his shorts. I've looked it up. Okay? So Evander Holyfield goes into this fight with Iron Mike Tyson, believing I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and actually he beats Mike Tyson. Now, no one believed he could, and he did it. And then you watch the fight, and you kind of walk away thinking, maybe he can do all things through Christ who strengthens him. He really can. He, is, he can beat anybody. And then he fights him again. He beats him again. But then Evander Holyfield fights someone else who competes with him, and his name's Lennox Lewis. Now, he also had Philippians 4.13 on his shorts then, too. But Lennox, but Lennox, Lennox Lewis beat the new heavyweight champion in the world, which was Evander Holyfield. Perhaps he can't do all things through Christ who strengthens him. Now, what does this mean? Why is it so misunderstood and why are we applying it inappropriately? Now, the, the answer really is context. And you have to read verse 13 in the, in the context of Philippians. Well, Paul is in prison. The great apostle, the great missionary is in prison, and in that prison cell, it's much more challenging than our prisons today, it's likely that Paul was chained to Roman soldiers as he's penning this letter in Philippians. Paul is not saying that if you uh, memorize this verse and apply this verse that your life is going to get better. Paul is actually saying the, the, the path to contentment is to find something much more profound, much, much deeper. That even in your circumstances, you're able to say, I can do all things through Him. Even though I'm in a cell, and I'm chained to Roman prisoners, or sorry, Roman guards, as I'm a prisoner. Now, I want to read it again. Verse 11 and 12. Not that I'm speaking of being in need. I mean... Paul's in prison and he's saying, look, I'm writing to you and I want you to remember, I don't need, I don't need you. I don't need your help. For I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I've learned something, a secret of facing plenty, hunger, abundance, and need. That's the context of verse 13. Now, I want to say this, that I think that actually contentment or discontentment may be actually the, the greatest trap in our culture. It's a greater trap, perhaps, than lust and greed and, and, and coveting. Now, here's why. Because all the other sins that you, can, you might deal with or you know about, at its root is there's discontentment. I mean, think of the person who is the gossip, the prideful, the arrogant, the one who always compares themselves to other people, the vain, the victim. What is at the root of all those sins? Is it not discontentment? I mean, what person have you met that is in some, some kind of affair 
Maybe with a person or with something that's, that's out of accord, that's out of order, as it's already been spoken about. What is at the root of that? It is discontentment. Is it not? Something in my life is not meeting my needs. I'm going to go find it elsewhere. So what is the root of lust and greed? I don't have what I want, so I'm going to go get it. Discontent. Christ is not sufficient. That's, That's what it is. It feels like the world is colluding against us, right? Every image, all social media, every, every advertisement. It's, pre- it's preaching a, a narrative to you, something like this. You deserve more. Or you deserve better. Who, who told you that? Like, who, who told you that you deserve a better life? That Christianity... It's actually going to make you more prosperous, more successful. Who It put Paul in prison. I mean, if you read the book of Philippians, you will never come to that conclusion. And if Paul walked into this room and preached you today, he would never say, you know what? If you pray more, your life will improve. Paul would say, no, well, it, it may. It, it could. God is good. But it may, it, you may end up in prison. Or, you know, if you just have your quiet time in the morning... Or the first thing, then your day will go better. Paul would never say that. He would say, actually what would happen is if you have your you know, devotion or whatever you call it, quiet time in the morning, you will have perspective. That when you are in prison and you're struggling and suffering, you will know that you can face it. Amen. That's what he's saying. Now, how should Tim Tebow and Holyfield apply that text? Well, what Tim Tebow should have done, and maybe he did this, was to say, you know what? I can put, I can put Philippians 4.13 in my eye black. But you know what? If we lose to Ohio State, one of our rivals, or Michigan, or whomever, the SEC championship, if I don't win the Heisman candidate, or don't win the Heisman trophy, and I, and I, and I lose it to someone else, you know what? I can face that. It's okay. So uh, the last flight I took was from uh, Fort Lauderdale, of Florida to Atlanta to Indy. Evander Holyfield was on that flight. And so I asked him. No, I didn't ask him about Philippians 415. I didn't ask him that. That would have been so rude. But, I, but um, it was interesting. On that flight, not, I didn't see one soul talking to Evander Holyfield. Now, it's probably intimidating, right? I thought about going up to him, but I didn't know what to say. Like, hey man, you know, like, I, I saw you, that, I saw you like hit Tyson, you know? That was cool. I, I, I don't... I don't know what I would have, everything would have been awkward. But I didn't see one person talking to Evander. He was uh, four rows ahead of me. I could just see the back of his big bald head. I mean, he's an enormous man. And, um, but you know, what I did think about is, you know, when he was the heavyweight champion of the world, when he had just beaten Iron Mike Tyson, would, would, would people have been talking with him? He would have had bodyguards. People would have been surrounding him. Wanting autographs and to talk to him and to engage him, but no one talked to him. Now, the way that Philippians 4.13 ought to apply to Evander is, you know what, it's okay. I was once the heavyweight champion in the world, and now I'm nobody. Nobody cares to talk to me. But I can face that. Because I know Jesus Christ. And He can strengthen me. 
So that whatever comes my way, plenty or want, I'm good. Because I have him and he has me. That is contentment. What contentment actually means, and, and um, this is all I'm going to say about that uh, in terms of a definition, is what Paul means by contentment is I am independent of my circumstances. That's the definition. What is contentment? That you're independent of your circumstances. You're, you're not dependent on them. That's why Paul can say in verse 12, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I've learned a secret. Facing plenty, hunger, abundance, and need. Doesn't matter what my circumstances are, I'm content. Uh, three, things, three things I want to do. What the secret is, and then what it isn't. And how do, you, how do you apply that? So first, what it is. Uh, verse 13 really is staggering. That I can do all things through Christ. Who strengthens me. I mean, it's, it, ought, it, ought to, um, it ought to shake you. Really? In, in my circumstance, in my situation, I can do all things through Christ? doesn't seem that way. Um, you know, it can be translated, I am made strong for all things in the one who infuses strength into me. That's how it can be translated. Now, what Paul is not saying is he's not saying, look, I, um, that I can do all things. He's not, he's not puffing up himself. That I can do anything that I put my mind to. He's not making a statement like that. What he's saying is, I, I can be enabled to do anything through Christ. And anything meaning, I can face anything. I can be enabled. The point Paul is making is, I can do all things through Christ. So it's not himself, it's I, it's not just I, it's not just Christ, it's I through Christ. It's, it's two together. We're in covenant, we're in this relationship where... I, through him, and he, through me, can face anything. There's two of you. He's not alone. What he's also not saying is that if I put my mind to it, I can achieve anything. This is not some kind of mind control. Where Paul is saying something like, if I put my mind to it and I focus and I train my mind, then I can overcome my physical circumstances. Through concentration and focus, develop this, this immunity or this indifference to my circumstances. He's not saying that. He's not preaching Stoicism, which is this religious, uh, uh, religious sect of people who just say, it doesn't matter. That's not Christianity. To say, my circumstances don't matter, that you have an indifference. That's not it. He's saying you, you can face it, that it really is hard, it really is challenging, it really is overwhelming, it really is painful. That's, that's very different than Eastern religions. Uh, like Buddhism and Hinduism. I mean, what Eastern religions teach you is it's, um, it's, it's removing stuff from your mind. 
I mean, you, you empty your mind to deal with your life. And Paul's not saying, don't empty your mind. Fill your mind with truth. Perspective that actually he's with you, in it. That's the power. That's the secret. You're not alone. That's what, that's what they say. Look, if you, if you meditate long enough, the Eastern religions, then you, you empty your mind and then you're at peace. And Paul's saying, no. It's Christ with you. It's a secret. You know, um, A.T. Robertson, he's a, a theologian, says it this way about strength. What does it mean? To sh- he strengthens us. He says it's as, as if he poured power into us. And a metaphor could go like this. It's as if uh, Paul has attached jumper cables to Christ and to himself. And the voltage from the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, is being transferred from Jesus to Paul. Power is being poured into me. The voltage that Christ has is now given to me. Uh, which is why Paul can say in Colossians 1.29, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. Struggling with his energy. That's what it means. That's why Paul can say, I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances. Now, Paul is telling us here that you and I actually have access to this kind of power. This is not only for Paul. Paul has the same Holy Spirit that you have. If you are, in fact, in Christ, I'm not assuming everyone here is a Christian. But if you're not a Christian, this is what's available to you. This kind of power. Not the kind of power where your circumstances fade, but we can actually deal with it. Now, this is actually real Christianity. So if, if your time with the Lord... It's your time in prayer, your time in the Word, your reading through a book. It's giving you perspective, and that's not actually empowering you to live out the Christian life. Then it's just a mental exercise. That's all it is. Real Christianity is actually when your quiet time, your devotion, is empowering you to actually live out the Christian life. Otherwise, it is a mind game. It's not real Christianity. There are plenty of biblical scholars who, who know, who've actually forgotten more about biblical scholarship than you've ever known. And they don't trust in Jesus Christ. They don't know its power. Real Christianity is actually when you take truth from Scripture or the preaching of the Word or the community of believers and they're encouraging you with His Word and that actually strengthens you. That is contentment that's the secret I love that you memorized a verse but how is that empowering you to live out the Christian life uh, see, I want to apply this and I, I want to kind of do, do a deep dive into uh, an area of our lives I think um, there are times uh, I could just say, say, say this honestly as a pastor I've seen where people really struggle to forgive and we say we forgive But it's when you're in those counseling meetings that you realize, wow, we struggle to forgive. So I want to apply this. How can uh, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ, how is it supposed to empower you to forgive? Well, C.S. Lewis, 
He's uh, one of my favorite uh, authors. He's the Oxford Dawn um, kind of uh, literary genius who uh, was an atheist who came to Christ. He says this about forgiveness. He says, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea. Until they actually have something to forgive. That's true. It is a wonderful concept until you actually have to forgive someone who's really hurt you. Now I want to give you a case study. So let me give you an example. Let's say there are two people. And two people, they're, they're in a friendship or a marriage. I mean, there's some kind of committed relationship where uh, they can actually hurt each other. And there's a conflict that's occurred, and it's not really easily forgivable. Now, look, it's not like, you know, one person kept dirty dishes in the, in the sink and then washed them. It's something more, something more significant. And whatever it, whatever it is, it's going to take a lot of work to forgive. And uh, one is clearly the offender, and one's been hurt by the other person, but, you know, perhaps they're, they're judgmental. I mean, they're not, they're not innocent. So what do you do? What do you do in that situation? Where do you go to get strength? To guide you? To equip you? How do you not fall into unforgiveness or slander or gossip, right? You're attacking their character and their identity. They're always this or always that. They're never this or never that. How do you stop that? So in your mind, I mean, you're justified. I mean, they've done wrong to you. So there's clearly a, a reason they've, they've crossed you. And so the question is, how long are you going to not forgive them? And you say, indefinitely. Until I, what? Feel better. Is that not you or I? Until it feels right. Because deep down, you want them to pay, right? You want them to pay for it. And in one sense, they deserve it. Should they pay? I mean, how long? You have a reason to be angry. So now what? Perhaps they've wronged you, but now you're being passive-aggressive. But you feel good. You feel, you feel justified. You're stuck. Is there strength for this situation? And Paul says, there is. And he says, you can. Usually the issue in our lives, whenever we're not willing to obey, it's not an issue of ability. It's that you won't. It's, it's rare that you can't. It's that you won't. I won't forgive them. I won't pay it down in a way that doesn't make them pay. I mean, you realize we're, we're barely Christian, right? Now, C.S. Lewis also says something else. Now, listen to this. He says, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable. Now, why? Where, where's the power in that? Because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. That we're the inexcusable. Now, perhaps the most uh, well-known teaching on forgiveness, or rather unforgiveness, is uh, Jesus' parable in Matthew 18, in 21 through 35, if you want to write that down. Hey, what's interesting is the context. At the beginning of Matthew 18, it is uh, the, the, the parable that Jesus teaches us about how to approach someone who's in sin. And so he says, look, if you see your brother in sin, what do you do? You approach them. And if you win that brother or sister, then you've won them, and it's great. It's, it's gravy. But now if you 
haven't won them and they don't repent, then what do you do? You bring a brother with you or a sister. And you tag team. And then if, they, uh, if that doesn't lead them to repentance, then you take them for the church. So you're like, uh-huh, okay. Basically what it's setting us, we read that and we think, this is how you point out sin. Now there's truth in that. But then later, as you keep reading, you read about the unmerciful servant. In the same context. Now here's how the story goes. In this parable, there's a king. And this king forgives this servant who, who owes the king an insurmountable debt. There is no way in a lifetime this servant could ever pay back the king. It's too much. But the king, because he's merciful, he forgives his servant. Now that same servant, a few verses later, uh, is in a relationship with someone who owes him a debt. Now it's a small debt. It's, it's, it's insignificant. And this servant who's been forgiven by this great king is unwilling to forgive this other person who owes him this tiny debt. Now the king hears about it. And so the king then approaches uh, the uh, unmerciful servant and says, look, I'm rescinding my forgiveness to you. Because obviously this hasn't had really, really any impact. It hasn't had any power in your life. It's just an experience you had. But it doesn't have any power. So he rescinds his forgiveness. Now here's what the text says. This is Matthew 18, 35. Jesus says, this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Now, I want to pause there for a second. What does it mean by the heart? I mean, usually when we read that, we think it means emotions. So uh, we um, have a tendency to interpret that as I forgive them emotionally. Like, okay, look, I'm not uh, mad at them any longer. When I see them, I can face them. But what Jesus says is you forgive them from your heart. Now, when the Bible talks about the heart, it's more than your emotion. It's the mind, it's the heart, and the will. He said, but your whole person, your, in your whole being, what makes, makes you, it's, it's more like from your soul you forgive them. Which it could be translated more like this. You forgive your brother or sister, literally, with no more debt. There's no more debt to pay. What you begin to realize is in that story that Jesus shares that you're the unmerciful servant. That's me. I've been forgiven for eternity, yet I can't forget a brother for saying something that's slightly hurt. It's, it's, it's pennies. And yet we hold, we hold it against people and we, we're bitter and we're envious or resentful. We're the unmerciful servant. You realize how badly we need a Savior. Look, whether or not you really forgive, I mean really forgive, the heart, mind, will, emotions, is a reflection of your understanding and experience of grace. So what do you need? What's the application? You need more grace. I need more Grace. You see, if I understood grace like that, I forgive you for anything. And be at peace. Christianity is, is radical. That actually in your church congregation, thing, hurtful things could happen. 
And you could still be in their presence. You could still be in fellowship with them. Because you know grace. Extending grace. Where the world will look at and say, you forgive them for that? You mean you can be in fellowship with him or with her? Where do you get that power? You see, I'm connected to Jesus Christ. And he forgave you and me. And the same voltage that went to Paul is going to me. It's not me. It's I through Christ. Um, you can forgive. It's not an issue of ability but desire. It's an issue of trusting God's way, that he knows what's best. You're not leaning on your own understanding. Now, what the secret is, and this will be much briefer, but do you, do you, know, what the, do you know what the Christian life is or isn't? It's not a philosophy, or it's not just a philosophy. It's not just a perspective. It's not just a teaching that you're to apply. Actually, Christianity is a power. It's a power that enters into us. It's a power that, that pulsates in us. It's, a, it's an activity that God does through you. And the word can do, I can do all things, is actually, the, it, the word means might, power, strength. It's a strength that helps you accomplish an objective, like forgiveness. Um, Paul wants the power. Paul prays this uh, in Ephesians. He prays this for the Ephesian church. And Paul says this in his prayer. That they might know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. According to the working of his great might. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. And Paul is praying for the Ephesian church what is true of you and I who believe. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the Father, which is where he is now, interceding for you and I, is the same power that you have. Therefore, uh, whatever circumstance you're facing, you can say, I can face that. I can do all things through Christ, who pours, infuses, transfers strength in me. I have to learn how to rely on that. I trust that. Now, quick story. Uh, do you guys remember the, the, um, the Charleston Massacre? Uh, a guy came in the church in a prayer service and they killed um, several people. Nadine Collier was one of those people. And her, 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 uh, well, she, was, she lived through it, but her, her mother died. She was, her name was Ethel, 70 years old. And Nadine, uh, uh, she said um, at the service when they were celebrating these people's lives, she said, I forgive you. Speaking to the person who killed his mother, or her mother. I forgive you. You took something very precious away from me. You hurt me. You hurt a lot of people. But if God forgives you, I forgive you. What is that? Is that a philosophy? Is that a theory? That's power. Power. Now, how is this helpful to you? How can it be helpful to you? Here's what um, Paul knows. I'm going to close with this. He knows he's rich. 
Paul knows he possesses everything in Christ. So even though this Philippian church comes to visit him as he's in prison, he can say, thank you for the gifts you bring. Thank you for the encouragement. But you, you know what happened? If you can read this in Acts 16. Uh, uh, I think it's maybe Acts 17. Okay, Acts 17, I believe is where it is with the Philippians. And, and when the Philippian church comes to visit Paul, Paul is singing hymns in the prison cell chained to Roman soldiers. Thanks for your gifts. Thanks for your songs. But I'm already singing. You see, I can do all things through Christ. He strengthens me. He knows he's rich in Christ. So what about you? Paul is not saying that I can do all things through Christ. That means I can break out of here if I want. I can become the emperor of Rome. He's not saying I can face it. Now, what is it that you want? What is it that you want that you're not getting? What is the area of your life that there is discontentment? Whatever it is, Christ is the solution. He's the only thing that can actually meet you in that that can satisfy you. Even if your circumstances change and you don't trust in Christ, you've gained nothing. You've gained no insight. But if you can say, in your circumstances, I can do all things, then perhaps you have gained insight. He's given you power and strength. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read off a list of desires we have to find contentment but how actually they are met in Christ, all the desires. And they don't represent everything, but they represent a lot. There's over 20. So listen, perhaps it's a house that you want, that you long for, but actually it is a desire for freedom and rest, which is ultimately found in Christ, Matthew 11, 28 through 30, Romans 8, 2. What about a promotion that you desire? At its root is simply for security and rest. Psalms 62, verses 6 through 8. Ultimately, all these things are found in Christ. Friendship, you say, I need a friend. And what a friend we have in Jesus, one who never abandons or forsakes us. Deuteronomy 31, verse 6. Matthew 28, verse 20, which is where Jesus says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Family. We have an older brother who leads the way. Hebrews 2 verse 11 unites us to a father who ever loves us. Galatians 4, 4 through 7. Justice, you cry out, I want justice. He is a judge who forever upholds righteousness. 2 Timothy 4, 8. I would like to add Romans 12, 19 where we say, he says, never pay vengeance for, or never pay, um, repay evil with evil because Jesus says, vengeance is mine. Comfort. We have a priest who forever intercedes, Hebrews 7, 25. We have a prophet who always speaks truth to us and proclaims to us, Hebrews 3, 3. A counselor we need who is ever ready with comfort, Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. A provider who ever supplies, Philippians 4, 19. Every need supplied in Christ. A savior who pays the price for our sins, Hebrews 12, 2. I need a defender who will protect me, who will guard and keep us. Matthew, or sorry, Psalm 23. If we desire love, it's found in the spread arms of the cross. Romans 8 says, there is no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Also Ephesians 3. If you want hope, it's found in his resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, 19. It says, if there actually was no resurrection, then we're the most of all to be pitied. 
If we seek peace, it's found in his blood shed for us, Colossians 1.20. We seek joy, it is given in his spirit, Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, patience, happiness. Happiness, it is found in knowing what awaits us, Revelation 21. Actually, you're not going to escape this world. He's coming back to this world to redeem you and the entire heavens and earth. It is found in knowing what awaits us, sorry, power. You'll rule with him forever. Revelation 3, 20 through 21. Are you hungry? He's the bread of life. John 6, 3. You thirsty? He's living water. John 7, 37. Are you naked? He covers you with his righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. Health. He is the great physician. Psalm 147, 3. Wisdom. He is the fount that's always flowing. Colossians 2, 3. Knowledge. He holds it in his hand. Rest. He says, come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. Compassion, it flows from me. James five eleven. Comfort, he never crushes a bruised reed. Isaiah 42, 3. Riches, you say you need. We are made co-heirs with him. Galatians three twenty nine. What do you really want? That Jesus has not already supplied in him. See, the secret is knowing that. And if you know that secret, you will be able to say, like Paul, I can do all things through him who pours strength into me. That's the secret we must know. Whatever it is you want, it's supplied in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would remind us, infuse power into us and remind us that we need more grace we can apply it to all kinds of areas of our life forgiveness or unforgiveness or disappointment jealousy, envy, coveting we need more grace to understand that every need of ours is supplied in Christ Jesus and he is actually the power to face whatever it is that you have called us to face in this season of our life. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen.